In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Vincent Williams, and I'm joined as always by my partner. Hey, what's up? This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And on this stop on the mission in the waning days of summer, we're going to do some science fiction as we spend some time with Michelle Mission favorite Raymond St. Jock in 1969's change of mind you gotta have a change of mind you gotta have a change of mind white mind black body a change of living a change of loving before but before we examine what it is that makes the self the mind or the body what's going on with you lynn Yo, what's up, Vince? Shout out to each and every one of you out there who are watching us as we are streaming live via StreamYard to Facebook, as well as YouTube and Twitch and LinkedIn. Hello to each and every one of you in the chat. Good evening, one and all. Yes, we are ready for a grand show this evening, and we are going to jump right into it vince okay we're getting right into it okay we're not going to mince any words words shall go unminced that's right and the show begins with listener mail missives from the missionaries yes we got an email from ellis heron hey what's up ellis uh aka the corrections department uh-oh Hey, fellas, I thoroughly enjoyed your black exploitation special episode. Oh, yeah. I even bought Josiah Howard's book. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, there you go. We're moving merch. That's what's excellent. Up. It's been a great, a great read so far, and I highly recommend it. Absolutely. I also checked out a few movies for the first time because of the book Trouble Man, oh. Honky, and Mandingo. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what he thought about Trouble Man. You know, Trouble Man is one of the most disappointing films of all time to me. Well, Trouble Man was my favorite, Ellis Heron said. Really? Mm-hmm. After you review Willie Dolomite, I'm going to start <laughs> campaigning for Trouble Man next. Maybe I need to circle back. I know the soundtrack is so good mm. that I've always been disappointed by the film. See, that's how I feel about Superfly. Okay. Uh, as for when Vince was trying to link Dervell Martin to Julie Andrews, I wouldn't have had a problem with Jack Lemon's name being given to help out, especially since sometimes I have issues trying to remember certain actors' names. But kudos to Len for providing more challenging actors for Vince <laughs> to link. 
Glad you're enjoying it, Ellis. Steel sharpened steel. Also, good on Vincent for linking Helena Bonham Carter. I thought he was going to go the route of Michael Clark Duncan and Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, but Charlton Heston showed more range. <laughs> Can I just tell you, until this exact second, I forgot Michael Clark Duncan Me too. was in Planet of the Apes. Me too. Because I cannot believe a black man signed up to be a damn ape in Planet of the Apes. Well, wasn't there a black man in the original Planet of the Apes? I thought, um... No, no, no. Playing an ape. No, I thought there was a black man that played an ape in, in, in the original... I don't believe there is. Isn't what... The, oh, God. what I, I forget the actor's name. The actor from... Uptown Saturday Night, who plays like the the senator guy, you know his name. Oh, Roscoe Lee Brown. Yeah, is is, is I don't is he? Yeah, I don't think Roscoe Lee Brown is any in, in in any of the eight movies. You look that up. I'll finish his. All name. right, because because <laughs> <laughs> you knew him. <laughs> if anyone is ever gonna pull a heist. To steal something from me. <laughs> I have like four triggers that I'll get distracted immediately. Yes. Hey, uh, Vince, what color were the costumes of the chimpanzees in Beneath the Planet of Apes? Oh, hell, let, I, let me go look that up. <laughs> no, 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 you do. Your, I got, I got. All right, go ahead. I'm Alice Heron continues. Roscoe Lee Brown in Planet Apes. Lastly, when it comes to Thor, Love and Thunder, I agree some of the jokes went too far. However, I enjoyed it for what it was. That may be partially due to me going in with the bar lowered because of so many mixed reviews. Still, the producers did what they usually do and doubled down on what worked in the previous movie, like the humor in this one. For examples... Look at more of the unrealistic stunts in the recent Fast and Furious movies and more specifically, more comedy in the Venom sequel, which I've not seen. Mm. At the end of the day, the producers get their money and we get another Fast movie, Venom movie, and obviously another Thor movie. Keep up the good work on the great content, guys. Your boy, Ellis Heron from Fort Worth. P.S. What are your thoughts on the black panther wakanda forever trailer mm. to lens credit it ended up being the very definition of a teaser mm. trailer well first and foremost roscoe lee brown was not in any of the eight movies okay okay all right F fair enough okay I thought i heard his voice but I, apparently i was okay wrong. All, right. all right uh black panther wakanda forever which yeah, yeah released yeah. a teaser trailer this past weekend at san diego comic-con uh and uh it's scheduled to be in theaters this november what did you think of the trailer vincent it it, it was surprisingly emotional mm. like i thought it was surprisingly emotional i think I, well first of all you know it was beautiful yeah it was absolutely beautiful i think the 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 designs i think the wakanda designs have 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 remained beautiful yeah since it came out initially i think um i was surprised again at how emotional it was with what it it appears to be a funeral mm -hmm. at the beginning in all the white garb um i thought the music was fantastic I thought the the action was nice. I thought the Aztec Mayan pre-Columbus designs for Atlantis were absolutely inspired. Yeah. And 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 I've watched it 
probably five times. So, so you really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And 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 if if the film in any way looks like it's going to reflect the tone of the trailer, it it looks like Ryan Coogler and all involved, much like they said, this is going to be a great film that honors Chadwick Boseman. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I thought I, it was pretty cool. I, You know, uh, Ellis mentions it, it definitely is a teaser trailer because while some of the imagery is very evocative and hints at things, mm-hmm. there is not enough connective tissue in the trailer to really discern what the story is. Right. So, which I appreciate. Right. In, in the teaser trailer. Um, and I think it was smart that in the first trailer to this film to go with a more um, somber yeah. note. Yeah. Because of the passing of Chadwick Boseman, which is loosely mentioned imagery wise. Right. In, in the film. So I, while still showing that there is as much pageantry as there is in this movie, as much of, you know, all of your favorites are returning mm-hmm. to the film. Um, and because of the nature of what's at stake and what they're trying, the story they're trying to tell, all of them have more um, agency in this film. Sure. And you can tell that immediately from the trailer. But it still hints at the action. Yeah. So you yeah, know that absolutely. the longer trailer that will come off will be more in line with what the story is, or at least showcase more of the the action pieces, right, in the film. But I think that it was. I think it's 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 absolutely gorgeous. I mean, yeah. And it's returned. You know. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm. I was a little skeptical when they, you know, at least first hinted at Namor. Mm-hmm. being in this yeah but like you i like what they did with that uh i like how they kind of reworked his imagery mm-hmm. and 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 by way of that at least it, it seems his origin mm-hmm. you know to make it a little bit more culturally sensitive uh in in much the same ways that warner brothers did with aquaman right with, with casting jason momoa so you know I, I did appreciate that. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, until we get the story, you don't know what's going to happen. But sure, sure. It promises to be pretty well, tight. you know, not to get too old school nerd. As soon as I saw the Atlantis stuff, mm-hmm. I, it's like it's like that meme of um, Leonardo DiCaprio holding the beer and he's pointing at the screen. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. Okay. Because I was eight years old again. Yeah, because yeah. you're old enough to remember, like, like every three or four episodes of In Search of, yeah. they would talk about Atlantis. Yep. But it was always a dude who was like, you know, Nigel Higginbotham, <laughs> who was at the Royal Institute of Strange Phenomena yeah. in England. Yeah. And he would say that I have done my research and I believe that Atlantis is actually off of the coast of South America. Yeah, like there's a whole tradition of Atlantis being, yeah, there, right. So I was like, that is so inspired. And then, you know, 
I don't I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming Ruth Carter did everything, but I'm I'm I am. I I just like I I just love the costumes. Yeah. Like I talked about watching the trailer, but I just love the pictures of the costumes. And I just love the fact that there's this brand new canvas mm-hmm. for her to play with, for her to play with and mm-hmm. create an entire culture. Yeah. And, and to that point, what I loved about the imagery is as big as a hit as Aquaman was, I was hit or miss on Aquaman as a film, but yeah. knock it was a hit. It made a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this was the first one that I felt like what little underwater scenes you see, because you don't see a whole lot. Right, right. You but don't. you see a lot of them. They felt immersive. Like I felt like right. like there's the scene where you see them like holding on to whales. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, that's what you need. You need yeah. you need to to really feel the scale yeah, of what that is. Absolutely. And and that that one imagery, that is one of the, the images that keeps returning to my mind when I think about that trailer. Yeah. And I I was like, yo, that's really spot on. So yeah. it looks smart. Yeah, it looks looks very smart. Um I'm I'm it, I, you know, if they pull this off. Because I think it's, I think this is going to be a hard nut. Like on the one hand, it's a billion dollar intellectual property Mm -hmm. that's part of this Marvel thing. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, Black Panther was so much bigger than that. And it means so much Mm -hmm. to so many people. And then on top of that, you have to honor Chadwick Boseman. So like marrying these two challenges, you know, serving these two masters that, you know, again, you, you, like you just said, all your favorites are returned now with new costumes right. for you to buy. Also, here's Namor and Iron and Ironheart. Yeah. Two new properties yeah, that yeah. we're going to introduce to the canvas. But at the same time, again, honoring this, cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. like i saw someone who joked and i thought it was funny but then i thought you know what i don't think that's the worst idea where someone said there needs to be uh um intermission we're like if 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 the funeral is at the beginning like everyone will go to the theater wearing white for the funeral then there needs to be an intermission where we change <laughs> And I was like, wow, that's ridiculous. But then, you know, you think about the pageantry and how everyone got dressed up to go see Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, it's funny and it's ha-ha, but I kind of see where they're coming from with it. Like, this is kind of bigger than, you know, again, Marvel movie 56, phase five. Do you think the people are talking in the chat about how much they feel they need to recast Challenge. Look, I think it'll happen eventually, but I think this is especially with the whole multiverse type of thing. Look, you see it coming a mile away. Yeah, but I think this film, you're just gonna sit in it. Yeah, me too. Me too. You know, it'll it'll come. Like you know, yeah, it'll come. But yeah, it'll come by the time time the Avengers. Right, it's like 2025. Right, right. It'll come because they released like their whole schedule. (laughs) Right. So, uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it a great deal. I did too. I really did. I really, really enjoyed it. 
as I mentioned, this was the San Diego Comic-Con. Yes. This past weekend, where there were a host of trailers that came out. Yes, there were. Now, we're not going to talk about all the trailers because not all of them necessarily germane to what we, you know, what we, you know, our scope here. Mm -hmm. But we are unabashed geeks for this type of stuff. Look, you know, we are. Now, I'm curious, though, Mm -hmm. because I know that this is something that you, I believe, have mentioned you're looking forward to. Okay. What did you think of the trailer for Netflix Sandman? I I liked it. Yeah. I I liked it. It's it's uh, it's funny you should say that. I actually looked at the clip earlier today that introduces death. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, just just in full disclosure, I had no like I, I run hot and cold with Sandman. Like we were talking about these great series, and I think Sandman is wildly overrated. Okay. I think it's all right. Like, it's, you know, I reread it. Uh, it's not it's like when they announce it. But, you know, I am Team Kirby Howell Baptiste all day. And she's playing Death. And I saw the clip where they introduced Death mm-hmm. from, I think it's like the fourth or fifth issue. And it it is, it's, it very much goes along with the comic. Okay. And so, you know, I'm looking forward to it. You're looking forward to I'm that. looking forward to it. Did you watch it? Are you are you going to watch Sandman? Are you? I probably will watch it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't have the cultural significance with Sandman. I never yeah. read it. It, yeah. didn't, it. it doesn't interest me. Yeah. Um. But you know, people cape for it. So I'm like, I'm, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'll probably watch a couple of it. And if if I get, you know, hooked, I'll continue. Yeah. If not, I'll be like, I'll be fine. Well. You know, I respect, you know, Sandman was maybe the first one of those that wave of prestige series that brought in other people to comic shops. Like, I remember it was like, yeah. you know, maybe Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets. Love and I Rockets. Mean, but you're going back a way you did with Love and Rockets. But yeah, that's yeah, but people. But yeah. you remember, like, it was that moment where you went to the comic shop and it was mm-hmm. like people in the shop who weren't usually in the shop mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. they were looking for Sandman. And then that kind of opened that whole wave of kind of fantasy horror kind of, you know, and I like Neil Gaiman, like mm-hmm. just as a guy, I like him a lot, but yeah, like, I'm not going, if I'm, I'm never yelling at anybody over Sandman. I feel you. It's not bad. The funny thing is that of all the trailers that came out outside of black Panther, which of yes. course we all have a vested interest. Oh in. my goodness. And there were a ton of trailers that came out. And some of them were okay. Some Mm -hmm. of them was like, uh, all right, more of the same. But the one that actually I was surprised. Okay. That I actually found this trailer to be a joy. Okay. And I cannot wait to see the movie. All right, Lynn, first in line. Is the trailer for Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. That's Lynn's jam. It looked... It looked funny. It, it looked sure. it, it looked the special effects looked great. Uh, it looked um it looked it it looked adventurous. It looked like it's kind of like you know, it definitely mimics like the story of the of the game, but it mimics a little bit of the story of the the cult classic cartoon series. Yeah, oh yeah. So I and and yo. Chris Pine is one of my favorite actors. I know you like, like Chris I, like Pine. Like Chris Pine, like I've yet to see him do anything, and I'm like, man. I know. Like he's he's not bad. He's I, he's good I and everything. Know. It's got carved out on one of the trees outside. It says Lynn Hart. 
Chris Pine. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It says Web and Pine. Yeah. But uh, like, yo, so I like, I'm, I really was surprised about how much I enjoyed that. Well, I am glad you enjoyed it so much. <laughs> Obviously not you. I mean, it's all right. And the I'll, other, I'll the, the <laughs> other one that really struck me was at how good it looked. Okay. Was the Lord of the Rings, the Ring of the Power. The money that they have thrown at this thing. Now, yes, they have they have thrown is obscene. They have some, thrown three years worth of Amazon like prime packages. It is it, pornographic <laughs> how much money yes, they it's have obscene. spent on this. It really is. But the money is on the screen. Yeah, yeah. It looks absolutely Look. beautiful. And I was surprised because they threw maybe not quite as much money, but they threw a ton of money at Wheel in Time. They did. And that looks like shit. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't know because I've never watched one moment. I watched the first two episodes and I'm like, <laughs> why does this look like the best fan film oh, no. I've ever seen? Yeah. It, 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 it looked like shit. Yeah. Well, look. It, but this absolutely looks, it looks good. Look, people, I mean, you say this about Wheel of Time too. I was about to say people been writing and doing and planning this Lord of the Rings things for 50 years mm-hmm. and by 50 years longer than that. But yeah, Ring of Time is, it's, it's, I mean, it's Wheel of Time people too, but yeah, like it just doesn't seem to. They didn't yeah. connect. But the Lord of the Rings looks great. Looks good. It looks, looks good. good. And, know, I, and I and I'm just surprised by that. You know, I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm in. in. I'm gonna check know, it out. Check it out. I'm check it out. Check know? it out. All right. All right. Um, we also Vince. We that got, wasn't trailer talk. That was talk about trailers. That that's talking, a whole different that's part different of the thing. show. Different, different part of the show. Totally different thing. We also have a voicemail. Okay. This person did not leave their name. Okay. It's a mystery voicemail. Mystery voicemail. Okay. Come in, please. Hey, fellas. First time calling. Uh, I'm actually currently trying to make my way through all the episodes from number one, only at like 150. But I saw Nope last night, and uh, it was dope. Intrigued to hear your thoughts. And uh, there was a part where... Daniel Kaluuya is talking to Stephen Yoon about getting the horses back. And in the background, there's a poster for Buck and the Preacher, a Sydney Poitier joint. Um, interested to hear y'all's, y'all's thoughts about the connection between those movies, because you know Jordan Peele ain't doing nothing without intention, you know, nothing like that, at least. Um, yeah, appreciate y'all much, though. All right. Thank All you. right. Thank you. Thank you. And I do remember now. You know, we actually saw Nope. We saw Nope last, last we week. We did uh, Nope, which wow, uh, starring Jordan Peele. Excuse me, written and directed by Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. starring Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, is in theaters and IMAX now. Yes, sir. Forty-one million dollar opening weekend. Yes, number it one did. film of the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number one opening R-rated film. Original R-rated film since Us. Oh, really? I didn't mm-hmm. even read that. Fact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God bless. Uh, yeah. Jordan, do- Jordan doing good things. Um, before we talk about our thoughts about the film in in general, mm-hmm. do you remember the scene that he's talking I about? Do. Where the poster of Buck and the I Preacher do. was in the background? I do. Yeah. I do remember that scene. It was another poster too that I couldn't quite make out. 
I couldn't make out that other poster. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'm positive it was a black cowboy movie. Um, Jordan Peele actually answered that question in regards to the poster of Buck and the Preacher. He says that it was the first film that I knew of that had black cowboys represented mm-hmm. in it. The myth that cowboys were just white guys running, running around is just not true. But we don't know that because of Hollywood and the romanticized view of a very brutalized era, the film shares a similar spirit. Right. So that's the reason why he featured the, the poster. Sure. Of Buck and a Preacher. Sure. Very prominently. Sure. Sure. So what are your thoughts on Nope? What are your thoughts on Nope? I thought, well, first of all, we both saw the film and we saw it in IMAX. Yes. And Jordan Peele also mentioned in interviews about how he wanted to make this film uh, a spectacle because he wanted to make a movie that was worth returning to the theaters for. Okay. And in doing so, I think he achieved. I think this is a film that I actually appreciated all the more watching it in IMAX, mm-hmm. seeing it in IMAX because of the wide vistas that he, he does show. This film, while definitely, you know, has the the Jordan Peele, you know, um, hallmarks for tension mm-hmm. and suspense, things that go bump in the night and things that you don't, don't expect to go bump in the night, bumping up in the night, mm-hmm. scaring the, the red Jesus out of you. Um, it also does, with its imagery, share a lot of language with westerns, and I really, mm-hmm. appre- I really, really appreciated the marrying of those two—the supernatural, the sci-fi. Because there's a sci-fi element of maybe, it too. Maybe, 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 um, with the the western element, and I thought it was just sensational and i thought all of the acting a lot of people have been going on about the performance of kiki palmer in this film and rightfully so to be fair i think she is like kills it but daniel kalua stand Mm -hmm. up stand up as always and steve steven yoon steven yoon steven yoon who's a a bit of a fake out yeah and i won't go into it but it's a bit of a fake out really yeah um, but but then Brandon Pereira, who plays another kind of like lead in there, yeah. Angel. Yeah, he's he's great in this film as well. Yeah. I, I thought the film was was like really really cool, really smart. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll start with the IMAX. I, I think you're absolutely right. This is the first film I have seen in a very long time mm-hmm. that I think you absolutely not only need to see it in the theater. But you need to see it in IMAX yeah. to really get the full effect of it. I think this is a film, and it, it, it's funny because it, we, when we were talking earlier about how we were going to talk about this and we said no spoilers. It's, it's, a, it's a film that it's about exactly what you think it's about, but it's also completely different than what you think it's about. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that is 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 the hallmark of one of these great films. A, it has that, like you said, it has the tension. It has like Jordan Peele at this point is completely confident in putting together a scene. Right. And there are set pieces in this film that I think are absolutely 
perfect and 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 pristinely constructed. Mm -hmm. And part of the way that you know that they're perfect is that now I know exactly what's going on in the movie. I know the the entire plot, but I can already tell, like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, like Jaws, like Poltergeist, like like these films, you know, even a film that I think is falls apart at the end, but has great pieces, signs. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell that these scenes are going to hold up as scenes. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I love about this movie, and it, it has a lot in common with the films that I just named, like people talk about this being in the Steven Spielbergian tradition. I think of Jordan Peele's three films, this is the film that can be as deep as you want it to be, but you can enjoy it as pure spectacle. It's pure just popcorn like just spectacle. Pure yep. spectacle. Yep. And I appreciated that. Like I really appreciated and Jordan Peele talked about that. Like he said, like you said, uh, he wanted to make a film that you could see in IMAX, but he also said he wanted to make a summer movie. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a great summer movie. Mm -hmm. Now, when we can actually talk about it, I think there's a lot to talk about in this film. Oh, yeah. Like a oh, lot yeah. to talk about in this film. But you don't have to do that to enjoy it. No. You don't have to do that do that to enjoy it. Like he's a Kiki Palmer. Kiki Palmer is 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 an American treasure. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happy that people are putting their eyes on Kiki Palmer. I think Daniel Kaluuya had a tough job. Because his character was much more stoic, yeah, and and a man of few words, but I think he did great. Much like you, I think Stephen Ewan's um performance is so subtle, yep, and and so sort of understated, mm -hmm. and there's so much going on. But but yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Nope a great deal. So did I, and I and it. and and highly recommend it. And I can't wait to see it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a smart film, and I hope everybody uh, look forward to everybody uh, seeing it, um, and so that we can really talk more openly about it. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to when we do our official review of it. Absolutely, um, we really um, get in there, get into the meats of it. Um, I love the, I love the. It's just a daring film. I love films that dare you. They dare you to just, you know, it. It doesn't leave. It it plays fair with the audience. But it doesn't hold your hand either. Well, and, I love that. And and again, it's it's almost like the best Hitchcock, where where in my mind, I'm like I'm not a fan of the jump scare. Mm -hmm. Like in my mind, the jump scare is like the fart joke of horror movies and thrillers. Like anyone can kind of go ah ah, I surprised you and scared you. But to build a scene where as the viewer, you know what's happening, but the tension and the music cues and the pacing, you still are able to hold that tone. And then there are moments where the tone changes mid-scene. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, like it, it, I was just really, really impressed with Jordan Peele's mastery of filmmaking at this point, frankly. It doesn't it feel 
it, it really I had to like step back a little bit. Doesn't it feel like he's done more than three films? It, this is his third film. This is his third film. This is his third film. And my God, the three films he's made. Right? You know, like I keep like I keep telling people, yeah, no, no, this isn't as good as Get Out. But Get Out was perfect. Like Get Out is actually perfect. I think Us is a little messier. Yeah, Us is messier. But I go to Us more than I do a lot of films. Like I spend a lot of time with Us. And much like this, I think Us, you really do see this control of the tone Mm -hmm. and the scene and the set piece. Again, you can only be surprised once. Right. Like I've seen Us four or five times at this point. I know every plot point. When that family comes in the first time, the the, the tethered family comes in and Red sits cross leg, Mm -hmm. crisscross applesauce in the chair and starts to tell the story. I'm like holding my breath. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it does seem like he's. Yeah, and and I'm it 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 I'm 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 already looking forward to the fourth film that he makes. Me too. So Me too. yeah. All right. So that's our thoughts on nope. 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 Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. All right. Top five. Who's your top five? All right, top five, ladies and gentlemen. My top five uh, this week is in relation to our film that we are reviewing, Change of Mind from 1969, which deals with a white man's brain being placed into a black body. I looked at the many times where race has been swapped in movies oh. from the source material. Okay. And to come with up with the top five race swap in movies. Okay. And this is my top five. Yes. Okay. All right. And there's bound to be a bunch of others. And I stuck with mostly with, well, you'll see where I'm going. Okay. All right. Okay. So top five race swap in movies. Okay. <clears throat> Starting with number five. Number five. Number five, which we actually mentioned earlier in the show, is Jason Momoa and Aquaman. Yes. Because that is a race switch. Yes, Aquaman it is. Aquaman has been historically shown as a white man, a blonde. About to say Aryan, even. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Blonde hair, blue eyed. But Jason Momoa, decidedly not a white man. He is not. A Polynesian de- uh, descent. And when cast as Aquaman. Now, I'm not a su- huge fan of Jason Momoa as an actor. Sure. But his, his you can't knock the man's physical presence. No, 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 no. Um, And when they cast him as Aquaman, I was like, Okay, I don't know if I see him as Aquaman. Not because I did. I wanted a, uh, a blonde Aryan guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want some German guy in there. But right, right. I just didn't know if I saw Jason Momoa. Right. To his credit, 
the Aquaman that they have created yes. for the DC yes. Cinematic U- yes. Universe, you know, is in line with Jason Momoa's <laughs> gifts. Well, the secret is they screen. turned Aquaman into Jason Momoa. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. I think Jason Momoa is very, very good at being Jason, Jason Momoa. Momoa. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah so. so, well done on that. Well done on them. So, and, and like I said, you know, say what you want. The movie made a billion dollars. It's not a bad movie. Okay. I'm not a I'm not a, a huge fan of the film myself. Yeah, sorry. I thought it was a, what, you know, I guess I just I thought it was a little messy. Um, but that's me. That's me. What are you gonna do? You know, they were talking about making a Yaya Abdul Mateen Black Manta movie secretly. That's what the plan was, but then DC, of course, put out one of them dogs that they put out. Yeah. And that didn't happen. Yeah, but I I really like Black Manta. Okay. Number four. Number four. Harvey Dent, Billy D. Williams in Batman. Yeah. Now that's a good one because Harvey Dent historically, the character was shown as a white guy in the comics. Um, When Billy D. Williams was cast for 1989's Batman, he looked forward to being Harvey Dent. Yeah. And eventually turning into the villain Two-Face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much so that he had it written into his contract that that's what he would do. Um, in fact, they actually had to pay him off. Yes. In order for Tommy Lee Jones down the line to play Two-Face. Right. In one of the Joel Schumacher um, uh, uh, sequels. But again... I like B- Billy D. Williams. I don't think he's the world's like he's, he's not going to like win Thespian of the Year anytime. Mm-hmm. But the heartthrob, that sex symbol that Billy D. Williams was, mm-hmm. plus with in 1989, he's starting to age a little bit mm-hmm. and age into that character actor type of vibe. I thought that him being cast as Harvey Dent, you know what? I can work with this. And I would be interested to see what he did with Two-Face because I thought that would have been an opportunity for him to show a side that he hadn't been given in other films. So I thought that the casting of him as Harvey Dent was actually inspired and I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Can we get a little geeky? Can we get a little just a touch geeky? Tim Burton talked about he wanted a black person to play Harvey Dent because he said when Two-Face came about, he said he wanted to use Two-Face to examine race. Mm. So Tim Burton actually had very specific reasons for trading race. And speaking of paying off people who never were actually in Batman, you, you know where I'm going with this, right? I think I do. Well, go ahead. Marlon Wayans uh, yes. famously was going to be cast as Robin. Mm-hmm. And it didn't fall through, but but it got really far. Yeah, like like he got outfitted for an uh, um costume. Mm-hmm. That actual first wave of Batman the animated series action figures, the first wave Robin is black because Batman the animated series was going to be based on Robin in Batman Returns. Right, and when that fell through. 
they had to pay Marlon Wayans. So Marlon oh, Wayans was paid to be in a Batman film that he was never actually never in. actually in. So, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so that's there crazy. you go. And it's interesting that Harvey Dent, Billy Dee Williams casting as Harvey Dent, led to speaking of the Batman animated series when they created their version of Harvey Dent, mm-hmm. they right. were a little ambiguous That's right. about his race That's right. in the, in the animated series. That's you right. Know, you could look at him and you could kind of see him as, you know, inter- you definitely saw like, you know, he had got a little mix. He was a little swarthy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah in there. And they were very ambiguous about that. Yeah. So, so it's really cool. Wow. So there you go. There's your Batman your Tim Burton Batman lore. There you go. All right. Uh, tune in next week for when we talk about Superman lives. Um, <laughs> and no, we won't. We won't. Number three. Number three is the Kingpin talking about Michael Clark Duncan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. Yes. Of which the less said, the better. However, Michael Clark Duncan Mm -hmm. as Kingpin is not the problem with that film. I've never actually seen it. You've never seen that movie? I've never seen Ben Affleck's Daredevil. Well, consider yourself lucky. Oh, I oh I no, that wasn't lucky. That was very deliberate. (laughs) Yeah. I said, oh yeah, I'm not doing that. It's not a a fun night at the theater. Now is Jennifer Garner in that's the she's in as Electra? Yes. Oh yeah. This yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 One of the worst castings. (laughs) Well, since Ben Affleck is Daredevil. Well, here's the thing. Ben Affleck as Daredevil is not bad i don't think that he necessarily pulls it off Mm. but at that time in his career it's not bad casting the real biggest problem of that film is the script and the direction Mm -hmm. the script the direction the acting the costumes okay okay ben affleck is not a great actor so he's not doing that great that greater work and i think he's gotten better as he's gotten older yeah like i like older ben affleck jennifer garner i've never i like her i've never liked her acting yeah um, Colin Farrell, he's having fun. Oh my God, Colin Farrell's in it because he's bullseye. Because he's bullseye. Yeah, he's bullseye, <laughs> and he's having fun in the film. But it's a bad film, so oh, he's just having fun boy. in a bad film. And Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin, he he fits the stature. I mean, he's a big dude. He's a big dude. Um, he's definitely got the silhouette down. I don't think the script knows how to write the kingpin that was in the comics it was right there I for mean, you look man. it just went went afoul and just went very generic yeah with it um and michael clark duncan who i always like i don't think he he, he either is going to win thespian right was right, going right, to right. win thespian of the year anytime right. um rest in peace mr duncan but um he's still what he was for what he was given he pulled it off because smartly they don't give him a lot Okay. To say or do is all about him just being right, right. Big, big guy, massive. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and now Vincent D'Onofrio in the in the TV show. Oh, well, I mean, come on, crushes it. Come on, and like, yeah. and if nobody ever remembers Michael Clark Duncan, it's fine. But Michael Clark Duncan, black man, black man, kingpin, historically white man. Yes. And you, I don't think it missed a beat. All right. 
And maybe it becomes more of a thing if the movie was a bad, but you know, it's whatever. Number two. Number two. I bet most people are not going to see this one coming. Uh-uh. It's like the Spanish Inquisition. This is Whistler, played by Chris Christopherson from the Blade trilogy. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't know that Whistler in the comics, Abraham Whistler, was a black guy. I'm learning that at this exact second. He was actually black in the comics. The role was the same. He was the absolute same. And his relationship with um, with Blade was pretty much the same. Maybe a little bit more defined in the movies because, you know, they tend to do that. But in the comics, he was a black man. And in the movies, they changed it over to Chris Christopherson because they just wanted to give it a little bit more. So that would give it a little bit more gravitas. And also, you know, let's let's face it, maybe to sell a movie a little yeah, bit more. Um, not that Wesley Snipes couldn't sell it, but um, and I don't think it misses a beat. I didn't know Whistler was in the comics. Yeah, I mean, he's so not he in he's like not Tomb of Dracula. He's not or? as prominent in the comics. I think he's in the Tomb of Dracula and he shows up in a couple of other because like Blade never really got like his own comic. Right, right. You know, so he shows up in like in like in, in a panels of a couple of other of his, uh, his appearances. Interesting. Yeah, but he was a black guy. And I think nobody misses the, I mean, you don't miss a beat because like I said, like you said, you're a huge comic book guy. You didn't even know. I've, you know what? A Tomb of Dracula is a big hole in my reading because it's licensed. Mm-hmm. So like it's, it, you know, it's been very sporadic mm-hmm. how it's been reprinted. Right. So right. I've, yeah, I've never actually read it. It reads pretty, I mean, it's, I mean, dated. Yeah. But for its time, it was pretty good. I, my, I wasn't a huge Tomb of Dracula friend, but my friend and a friend named uh, Fred who lives in, he's the one that actually introduced me to Marvel comics. Okay. And he was a huge Tomb of Dracula guy yeah and yeah every yeah. once in a while when you sit and read comics i would just like all right let me read a couple of tumor draculas and they were interesting they were pretty cool that's gene uh, colin's art was, and, and that's what marv wolfman marv wolfman yeah yeah, yeah. great yeah stuff. i mean that's a good yeah the, like you said the art is iconic yeah so. great stuff all right all right go and try and dig up some tumor dracula there you go and now number one and number one and, and this is in the movies and this you know look this is it's it's a low-hanging fruit right here okay and that's Nick Fury, of course. Samuel L. Jackson, of course. From the uh, originally first shows up in Iron Man in 2008, mm-hmm. but of course he's all across the Marvel Cinematic Universe. For those that don't know, the character of Nick Fury was historically a curmudgeoned old white guy, yeah, from World War II, yeah, who, who you know, somehow gets like a secret sauce and kind of like you know comes young again or some shit yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and then r- runs shield yeah um marvel when they started their ultimate universe uh in the what was it, early aughts they did yeah, that early aughts uh they started their uh, ultimate universe um mark miller mm-hmm. and the artist brian uh brian hitch, hitch. yep they just chose because they wanted to be different to cast in this new universe, mm-hmm. quote unquote, their Nick Fury in the imagery of Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Because like all of Hitch's art basically was kind of photorealistic mm-hmm. and they used actors. Yeah. As the, the models for each of the characters. Not for all of them, but for some, for a few, more I than mean, a few. For, for like 90% of them. Well, like when you look at, when you, it, it when you look at those first 
five, six ultimates. Mm-hmm. They all kind of match up. It's like, you know, it's like Lucy Liu and, 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 and. Who's uh, Lucy Liu? And the, the Wasp. Oh, is she? Yeah, she's very much Lucy Liu. Oh. They actually have really a meta is. moment in this eighth or ninth issue where they talk about if we had a movie, who would play us? And that's oh. when Nick Fury says, I'd want, of course, Samuel Jackson. Now, the other part of that is that Nick Fury was the second choice to be somebody black. They wanted Captain America to be black oh, in really? the Ultimate See, Universe. I didn't know that. Because, and then that got shot down. Of course. Because they said, and, and you know, this is what came up later with Elijah Bradley. Mark Miller said it actually makes sense that if they were experimenting on people mm-hmm. with that super soldier formula, they would have started with black soldiers. Yep. So he wanted Captain America to be black and Marvel was like, yeah, nah. <laughs> and then he was like, well, how about Nick Fury? And they said, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So sure. there you go. So there you go. You know, got to give me a chance to be a little nerdy with that too. You're very welcome. All right. So that is my top five race swaps. All right. Um, in movies. Thank All you very right. much for, for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. And now we will get to the moment everybody has been waiting for. That's the key. Why you'd be surprised what a person can do with just a sense of hot touch and a sense of sound. Hey. the Durville Martin, ladies and gentlemen, where Vincent and will attempt mm. to get from 70s superstar Durville Martin to an actor of my choice. Now, in honor of our film, Change of Mind. Change of Mind. Starring the great Raymond St. Jacques. One of our favorites. I have two Raymonds for you to choose from. Two Raymonds to choose from. Yes, Vincent. Okay. All right. Do you want Raymond number one or do you want Raymond number two? Of course, I start with Raymond number one. All right. Raymond number one. Okay. Get from Durville Martin. Durville Martin. Two. Two. Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. Yes. Famously of Perry Mason and Ironside fame on television. Right, 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 right. But he was in movies. He was in movies. He quite was a few movies. In, in movies. And in, in, uh, I got to think of a movie he was in besides Godzilla. He was in Godzilla. Raymond Burr. Mm-hmm. How was Raymond Burr in? So he didn't go right to TV. No, he did not. He made, He had a... Pretty good yeah, career in, the, in, in films. Right. He wasn't a leading man. Uh, no. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. He wasn't what, what, what was in Raymond fact, Burr in? Fact, in fact, I think his only leading man role yeah. was Godzilla. Yes, exactly. And but they, that was they, the and remake. They spliced, no, no, no. Remember, they spliced them in. Well, no, but I'm saying it's the remake. It's the remake of Gajira. Well, I mean, not a remake. Well, but, you know, they cut it up. Okay. And, I mean, there was, there was a movie first, and then right. they... <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> now I chose two guys who just working through my head. Okay. Could I do this real easily to get to these guys? And I could. Is he in something that I would have known that he was in? I think you've seen it. What's Raymond Burr in that you think I would have seen? Well, that'll give it away. Oh, for God. Dude, it's Raymond Burr. Nobody knows anything about Raymond Burr except Ironside. Well, that ain't. And, and Perry Mason. Perry Mason. Yeah. I don't think people really remember Ironside. I loved Ironside. What? I loved Ironside. He got shot in the opening credits. 
But then he still fought crime yeah, from right. a wheelchair. From a wheelchair. I never saw Ironsides. It was exactly what you think it is. Yeah. The credits were the best part, but the credits were fantastic. <laughs> they shot his ass in the opening credits. And he said, I'm still going to fight Crom from the wheelchair. <laughs> what in the world was Raymond Burr in besides Godzilla? Okay. Let me go to the filmography. Because I was trying to figure out, was it somebody in Godzilla that I knew? <laughs> The filmography of Raymond Raymond Burr. Burr. Raymond Burr. <laughs> do you know any films he was in off I the do. top of your head? I do. Off the top of your yes, head. Yes, that's why I said I could get to him easily. But if I gave it to you, it's too easy a movie. What movie was he it's in too easy, that you man. knew? It's Well, he was in, there's a film that he was in that you're never going to get. It was, the he was in The Blue Gardenia. <laughs> you're never going to get it. <laughs> But that's not the film. I I, I can't. Do, uh, are you give? Are you giving up? Or you want me to give you? The, you you don't have film. to give me that film. Give me another film. All right. I. I, I What's I'll, the last film he was? Like, you gotta start. You. What the hell? Go ahead. No, I'll give you. What's the, the last film he was in? I'm gonna give you the film that's gonna give it away. What? All right. He was in Rear Window. Where was Raymond Burr in Rear Window? He's in Rear Window. Who does he play in Rear Window? Do you really want me to tell you that? Who he played? Yes. Yes. You really want me to tell you who he played? Who did he play in Rear Window? He plays the bad guy in Rear Window. Is that Raymond Burr? Yes. Yes. So can't say it's not a prominent role. I don't remember him in Rear Window at all. He's the bad guy. All right. Now, mind you, he does... His hair is whitened because he plays older. Yeah, I don't remember. But that's him. All right. You've seen Rear Window. No, no, no. Oh, absolutely. I'm 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 you've actually blown my mind that Raymond Burr was in Rear Window. He's the guy that they're looking at. Yeah. Across the- Does he have any lines? I don't think he actually even says anything. I was about to say, because you're saying the bad guy in you Rear hear Window. You him on the phone. You hear him on the phone talking to and then he comes and confronts him, and I think he may have a couple of lines there. For the most part, he, he, he's no, he doesn't have a lot of lines. Say he's, yeah, I'm gonna take your word for it, he's in it, but damn, he's barely in it. No, he's not barely in it. He's I mean, the bad guy. I mean, you're saying he's a bad guy, but as we just said, he doesn't have any lines. You know, but he's he's the whole plot. Uh, no, I didn't say he wasn't the whole plot. All right, what's my Jimmy Stewart cowboy movie? Shit. What's this cowboy movie? You're making it hard on yourself. I'm not, because I don't know anything Jimmy Stewart is in. Except, um... It's like Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And I don't remember who else is in that. Obviously, it's a good life. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a wonderful life. I don't know anybody in that. I mean, I know them, but I don't know who they are. Aaron Fry said, for crying out loud, rear window. <laughs> and then, uh, what's my cowboy movie? Which one? Where he plays the bad guy. Jimmy Stewart? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know a movie where he plays a bad, where he plays a bad guy. 
Are you thinking of Jimmy Stewart or are you thinking of Henry Fonda? No, I'm thinking of Jimmy Stewart because Jimmy Stewart plays a heavy. In a, in, a, in a Western? Pretty sure he does. Oh. I mean, he's 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 wrongfully accused in Who Shot Liberty Valance. Maybe I, that's what I'm thinking of. See, I thought you were thinking about Henry Fonda, who plays against type in Once Upon a Time in the West. No, no, I know I know that, but that's not Jimmy Stewart. And yeah, no, Jimmy Stewart's in the rear window. Yeah, I don't know. Who else? What else? What, how, what's easy? <laughs> well, he's in, uh, well, I'm not going to give away the easy route, but he's in other Hitchcock movies. Who, Raymond Burr? No, no but I'm saying Jimmy Stewart. So maybe other Hitchcock movies, if you think of those movies. Wait, so is Jimmy Stewart in, um, he's in rear window. He's in, um, what else is he in? With uh, what are the Hitchcock movies Jimmy Stewart in? He's in Rope. He's oh, in yeah, Rope is your jam. I always forget about. He's Rope. in um Vertigo. Oh, that is Jimmy Stewart. And that's with um, what's her name? Is in Vertigo. That is oh, I want to pull her. I want to pull her name because she's so freaking gorgeous. Um. I got to look it up. I hate that. I hate that I have to look it up. Hmm. Um, Vertigo stars Jimmy Stewart. Of course, give me the definition of the thing. Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak. Right. Oh, I know somebody's Jimmy uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even feel like. All right. You want me to show you how to go? Yeah, yeah. Show me how to go. How to go? Uh-huh. I'll show you how to go. Uh-huh. Dervo Martin uh-huh. was in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Catherine Hepburn. Yes. Who was with Jimmy Stewart in the Philadelphia story. And I'm, wait. I thought that was. Um, it's also Cary Grant. I'm about to say it, it's Cary Grant. It's Cary Jimmy Grant. Stewart is in the Philadelphia story? Yes, he's the other guy. Oh, for Christ's sake. How big is his role in the Philadelphia story? He's like the third lead in the film. Oh, I always think of Clark Gate, not mean um Cary Grant. Cary Grant in the Philadelphia story. Well, right. okay, well, there you go. There you go. Yeah, the, yes. Catherine Hepburn, Jimmy Stewart. Raymond Burr. There you go. The, the, well, the, yes. All right. Uh huh. Next. Uh huh. <laughs> Next, Raymond. Uh huh. <laughs> oh boy, this one's gonna You're never going to go ahead. <laughs> Get from Martin <laughs> to who? To Ray Walston of my, my favorite, favorite Martian, Martian fame. Come on, man. Come on, Lance. No, no. I let the Raymond Burr thing slide. You got to stop using these dumbass actors who made their bones on TV. He Come on, stop. Uh, are you about to? He was in a million movies. Stop. 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 Don't nobody know nothing about Ray Walston in, in anything but my favorite Martian. Yes. And um, wait, was that him in Lost in Space? No. 
that's uh, what's his name a lot. Stop. No. Stop. That's Jonathan Harris. Right. Stop. Yes, I don't know anything that the dude who was in the sitcom in 1960, which is why everybody on earth knows him, what movies he made before he started making that My Favorite Martian money. All right, can I sh- can I tell you how you can get to Ray? I Wilson? mean, if, if I had Google, I can get to him too. I didn't use Google. What was he in that you knew? The apartment. The apartment. Yes. The um. The Neil is that the Neil Simon play? I don't think Neil Simon. No, that's Billy Wilder directed. I don't think it's Neil Simon. What year is this? <laughs> it's nineteen fifty something. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Come on, man. Stop. Stop. What? You did Shirley Temple once. I don't think it's unfair. Shirley Temple's whole career, she was surrounded by black people. Okay. And she's actually an icon in the movies. Okay. Was he the star of the apartment? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. No. Mm -mm. Well, Darvell Martin wasn't the star of anything. No. Uh uh. Nope. I reject Ray Walston. I, can show I really reject. Well, I'm sure you can. Yeah, I reject Ray of uh, Raymond Burr too. Who else is in the apartment with Ray Walston? Jack Lemon. Oh, what it right? Well, there you go. There you go. Yes. Shirley McLean. Yeah. Uh-huh. Fred McMurray. I don't think I could use Fred McMurray, but because again. Fred McMurray. Well, Fred McMurray was actually did some movie stuff, but you know he he's my three sons guy. Yeah, but he was he was stop a, stop. He was a he was stop. a big movie guy. Stop. He was a big. Did movie Fred McMurray guy. ever star in a film? Like was yes. he ever above the credits? Yes, Double Indemnity with Barbara Stanwyck. Yes, I was about to say that's Barbara Stanwyck, and he's right there on, above oh, the credits. Sick. Okay. All right. All right. And then, and then, for what you may not think of anything of it, but his is above the credit in the absent-minded professor. Oh, I always forget about his Disney. And that's not Disney, but it's, it's Disney. Disney. Is that Disney? Yeah, that's actually a good one. Although that was post my three sons. It's well, it was kind of like right. The, so like he, was in, we, he was in right, he's in that weird phase the, yeah, of his career. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, can we do something where like Negroes could see it? Like, can we do something that Negroes could see and we didn't have to see in the, sit in the balcony? Negroes could see the apartment. As long as they sat in the balcony. I demand someone who wasn't a star during segregation. <laughs> Is that too much to ask? <laughs> like somebody, my father was in 14 sitting in the balcony throwing popcorn on the white people beneath them. <laughs> and Robert Murrow Jr. is correcting me. The apartment was actually 1960. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It wasn't in the 50s. Uh-huh. You want, so it's Jack Lemon. So you know, yeah, yes. So I'm yes. giving you Jack Lemon. Yes, that, right, yes, right there. Yes, 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sidney Poitier, Dove, Tony Dove Martin was in Guess Who's Coming to yes, Dinner with yes. Sidney Poitier, yes. who was in The Defiant Ones with, with Tony Curtis, who was in, was in uh, Some Something Like Hot with Jack Lemon, Jack Lemon, who was in the apartment, the apartment with, with, with Ray, Ray, Ray Walston, which everyone when they think about Ray Walston, oh, you know Ray Walston from The Apartment. He's good in the art. I didn't say he was good, but <laughs> nobody knows about that. <laughs> There's not a lot of famous Raymonds. Yeah. 
You could have done Ray Liotta. You could have done. Uh, I don't think he's Raymond. Certainly he's Raymond. I think he's Ray. I don't think he's Raymond. Oh, his birth name is not Ray. Nobody <laughs> named their child Ray. <laughs> he's Italian. Why, why couldn't you? You could have done Raymond. Uh, <laughs> who's everybody loves Raymond? Oh, his name is Raymond. Mm-hmm. But that would have been too easy. Yeah. Ray, Ray, Ray Liotta would have been too easy. Yeah. Right. Like, do Ray, Ray Liotta. Make yourself feel good. Do Ray no, Liotta. no, no. <laughs> I'm actually protesting this week. Ray Walston and Raymond Burr. let's do the movie <laughs> let's get into our re- let's get into our review <clears throat> that was that was that was epic i love that nah, I, that was a joy let's get into our review of change of mind we'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages p.m. Operating Theater A. Nice. Suction. Dr. Bornier and a team of surgeons are commencing a highly complicated brain operation. Operating Theater B, Mercy Hospital. Simultaneously, Dr. Swenson and a second team of surgeons are performing an identical operation. Bone girl. p.m. Dr. Bornier has now begun the most critical phase of the operation. 10.30 p.m. The third and final phase of the operation is now in progress. a completely successful operation, Dr. Bornier, or is this just another step along the way in neurological surgery? We are not just experimenting. Is his new body responding to his brain? Is he breathing without help? What are his chances, Doctor? We are hopeful. Did he know Ralph Dixon? It was an emergency operation, wasn't it? Dr. Bornier, did he know that Ralph Dixon was a Negro? Yes, he knew the subject's body was a Negro. What is he now, Doctor? A white man in a black body or a black man with a white brain? David Rowe is what he always was, a human being. Change of mind. A 1969 science fiction film starring Raymond St. Jock as a married couple struggles to adjust when the husband, the white husband, dying of cancer, has his brain transplanted into the body of a black man. David Rowe, the white district attorney, must now also deal with 
a high profile case against a racist sheriff accused of the murder of a black woman directed by Robert Stevens with a script written by Selig Lester and Dick Wesson. Besides its star Raymond St. Jock, it also features performances by Susan Oliver, Janet McLaughlin and Leslie Nielsen Mm -hmm. in the 1969 change of mind. The film chosen by Lynn Webb. Lynn, what'd you think of change of mind? Well, the first thing I will say that I thought of change of mind is that this was not anything that I expected. Okay. From the very beginning of the film. And I mean, the absolute very beginning of the opening credits of this film, where you see this rolling ball, like just rolling through this whole like maze of, they're not like dominoes or anything, but like, like panels or walls or anything like that, that um, very stylized opening credits with music mm-hmm. by Duke Ellington and his orchestra. And boy, I want to tell you, Duke Ellington and his orchestra in 1969, they are bringing the heat. Yes, they are. Because that music just took me. I, I, I literally stopped and rewound the, the, the film back to the beginning because I just wanted to hear that music again because it was it was banging. It was popping. It was crisp. It um, set you up for. Uh, okay, this might be something kind of interesting that's mm-hmm. happening here because this is some good this is some good stuff. It's really setting you up because on its face, the premise of the film, a white man's brain put into a black body. It sounds like the stuff of science fiction. It sounds like the stuff of of horror. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the the stuff, even though this is 1969, it very much sounds like the stuff of what would soon become the quote unquote black exploitation era. It actually it it actually is a premise that could lead you really left field. Yes. <laughs> and set you up for oh my God, is this the precursor to the man with two heads? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you do not know, uh, especially because Raymond St. Jacques cast in this film, this is still fairly early in his career. Anyone who knows the man and you, and you, you look at the man, he's a very, he comes across as a very thoughtful, intense um meaningful type type of individual as well as actor but very early in his career you don't know which way he's going to lean mm-hmm. so when him being cast in this film is not necessarily a recipe for you know something deep it just means like he's the black guy that won the role right but the music sets you up that this is going to be something deep. And then the film opens up and the film opens up with a voiceover treating like you are in media res when you open up into this film, because you're already in the midst of the operation. The operation is is happening and you are, there is a white 
uh, attorney who I think it, it, he's like the is he a, the the attorney general or the district attorney? He's the district attorney, I think, of the of the city. Raymond St. Jacques Garrett. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. He's the DA. Mm-hmm. Right. He's the DA who is having his brain transplanted into a black body. Outside of a quick flashback much later in the film, you're never introduced to this guy. You are not asked to invest any level of empathy or sympathy or um, or or motion or thought towards this white man who you learn was dying of cancer. You're not meant to feel anything for him because as far as the movie is concerned, this man is going to live on in the body of Raymond St. Jacques. Right. Who his character um, was a, a black man who uh, unfortunately passed away. Mm -hmm. And then his, his body, just becomes fodder for them to do this transplant. You're not given any type of history of, nope. of why him, how does, is he selected? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, so it, it almost begs the, begs the question like, yo, did they just like grip up a man? Like as soon as he like died and said, yo, cut his brains out. Yeah. Like, um, and that's that's real. The the movie doesn't spend any time interrogating that that question, Mm-mm. but it's definitely a question that is there. Right. The film isn't interested in the lead up. It is not interested in the at lead all. up at all. It is not interested in the the men that become the David Rowe that we are introduced to. So it's right. not introduced is not in, really interested in the original David Rowe and it's not interested in the black man who gave up his body. Right. It's interested in the amalgamation of David Rowe that this brain in this black body becomes and how the two individual worlds that these men walk in deal right. with um this phenomenon deal with this new creation that is walking the streets and specifically the film deals with what does the how both men's wives mm-hmm. deal with the situation mm-hmm. um how do they feel about this and through some more int- more serious in- investigation on the side of um, Margaret Rowe, the the white wife of the district attorney. Um, Margaret Rowe, played by Susan Oliver, she is definitely given more of the storyline. Mm-hmm. You're introduced to her in the hospital, you know, waiting, hopeful hoping that, you know, her husband is going to survive this very intense uh, operation and then working through nursing him back to health as he has to adjust to his new body Um, all the time, you know, foregoing her own feelings of what she has to deal with this new man that is, is 
presented before her as quote unquote her husband because his brain is inside this new body, but she she puts it out there on the table. When I look at you, I don't see the face that I fell in love with. Right. I know the I know the man is there. I know the brain is there. So I know you have the memories. I know you have memories of loving me. You have memories uh, that me and you shared, but I didn't share those memories with this face. I didn't share those memories with that this body. I didn't share my bed with this body. I didn't mm-hmm. share this life with this body, right? So, you know, a, that's an adjustment for me. Conversely, on the other side, as David Rowe is trying to adjust to his life, and and realizing, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I should just be the same old district attorney. No, you ain't because you don't look the same mm-hmm. and nobody's going to treat you the same because now you are a black face. Now you are a black man. And now you have to deal with some of the um, the 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 racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, large and subtle that black people have had to deal with their entire life the microaggressions that are that are just a part of daily life that you have to deal with so he has to he's taking that on for the first time but in an interesting um sideline or subplot to this to this movie it asks the question is the brain the person mm-hmm. or is the body the person? Mm-hmm. Because the brain is David Rowe, the district attorney. The body is this black man who gave his life, well, well whose, whose life, was, whose body was given to this right, experiment. Right. And that body has within it muscle memories, mm-hmm. You know, um, f- feelings of its own. It's interesting that this film made in 1969. You know, as of late, we've been there's been an investigation. There's been you know, um, proven that there is trauma that is passed on through uh, through the body, through through ancestors. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so that trauma. Is in that black body. Yeah. This actually kind of posits that question right there. So he's he actually is is feeling that tug of war of you know I I feel like I maybe need to be with black people. I don't know. So he right. goes and visits his his old wife. Yeah. Um. And his wife, you know, and seeing the body and the hand and the face and the body that I fell in love with. But she can tell from even though it's still his same voice box. Right. She can tell that the mind is not that man. Right. And and it it's not quite the same. And I thought that that was very interesting story for this movie to investigate. I thought that that was um, it was not anything that I was expecting. OK. In this film. I wasn't expecting it at all. I thought that it went deeper than I thought it w- would go. And I was really kind of like invested in it. I was invested in it primarily because as you dealt, as it kind of started 
um, branching out into that triangle of the David Rowe character, his wife, and the the ex-wife of the black man, mm-hmm. I was interested in whether or not the point of view was going to tilt a little bit more towards the women to see right to 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 really investigate their feelings of how they're dealing with it there's lip service given to it but there's not really any true investigation interrogation of that in in this film and i think that is also primarily because one this film like like Come on, we know historically films were told from the male gaze. Sure. So it's about the 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 man's point of view, the white man's point of view, mm-hmm. uh, in in this standpoint, and how they're how they're dealing with it. Um, and in that, I think this film kind of like it left me cold because it, it had me, and then it left me cold because the character really is dismissive. I feel of the women's yes feeling yes and. I thought that was interesting, but I thought that that was um, a harsh note for this film, especially because it more or less ends on that note. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really harsh. And it, and it's and it ends on it as almost as if it's supposed to be like this hero moment for the guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of yeah. that's, that's not cool. And then the other reason why it doesn't investigate it is because this film gets bogged down in the second half Mm -hmm. with this law and order (laughs) racial justice episode law and order body switch well i don't know um law and order bigots on trial yeah where um because now we we have to investigate this this murder of this black woman who you find out was the mistress of the white sheriff, who's a bit of a bigot played by Leslie Nielsen. I guarantee as you have never seen or heard him before, (laughs) this is not the Leslie Nielsen of airplane. Ladies and gentlemen, this is in second, second wave or, or second, uh, it, it, the second, second phase, of the second phase of of his career. No, no, this is Leslie Nielsen, you know, Working actor, yeah, about say character actor <laughs> Leslie Nielsen, yeah. yeah, and he's 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 got it. The scripts say I got to say certain things. So yeah, I, I'm oh, going to yeah. say them, and I'm and I'm an actor, so I'm gonna say them like I was saying. Yeah, and he does. Um, but it gets bogged down in that storyline so much so that it almost turns into like true TV. I yeah. mean, it is literally like almost like we spend. It feels like an entire entire hour in the courtroom, right? The actual courtroom, actual actual courtroom. Yeah, like, and not even just like the lawyer playing lawyer. We visit every one of the witnesses. Yeah, we even visit the the reporter talking about. Now we're going to hear from another witness, and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, I'm like, yo, y'all just lost. All of the momentum of yes. this movie. Yeah. And that is where this movie went left for me. Now, the the law story, that legal issue is kind of interesting because the district attorney was a white guy and putting the 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 white bigot um sheriff on on the stay on the stand he was ready to call him like you know call him out like he thought that he 
murdered murdered this person. Mm-hmm. You know, spoiler for a fifty year old movie. Um, but there's a little bait and switch here. Mm-hmm. But the real big bait and switch is that now the district attorney is in a black body, and the black body actually is working in the service of the white bigot bigoted uh, sheriff at the end of the film and the juxtaposition of how the, 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 the black people in the, in the crowd or in the, in the assemblage in the, in the jury, in the, in the courtroom are going to feel about that is it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't, and it's again, lip service is given to it, but I don't think it really plays out at the end of the day. I think there's a lot of interesting ideas in this film there it is but it 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 doesn't have the full conviction to play them out to their to their fullest potential and i think that that's a letdown because it's a smart film mm-hmm. raymond st jock is a very smart actor and i enjoyed him in this a great deal he's the best thing in this film and there's a couple of good actors mm-hmm. Susan Oliver's okay in the movie Janna McLaughlin is a small role mm-hmm. yeah. she's good she's always you know credible and Leslie Nielsen for what he's asked to do yeah. he's, he's cool yeah um but it I think ultimately the, those actors are just are let down by the and I don't even think the direction is necessarily that bad it gets a little stale in the courtroom because it's you, how many ways can you short a courtroom shoot a courtroom but i i think that ultimately the ideas and the script just let it down because this this had the chance to be really really something special yeah an hour 34 minutes is where i'll start this is a very short film Mm -hmm. and for the ideas that this film wants to explore it just isn't enough time yeah yeah with all of the choices being picture perfect then when you put in things like, as you said, the amount of time that's spent in the courtroom, that just eats up yeah, more real estate, more real estate where you could, because I agree with you. I think this is, I think this is a, a film that was way more thoughtful than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I do like some of the choices that were made. I actually love the fact that they get past all of the preamble. Yeah. Oh, we need a body. Oh, I'm dying. Oh, the only body that's available is black. Oh, what does that mean? Like you said, the film starts in the surgery. Yep. So all of that is, has been taken care of before the film starts. This is a film that's really more interested in examining the repercussions of what happens mm-hmm. with a surgery like this. I, I think I, I think this idea about what makes a person a person, their mind or their body, is is an interesting one that that in in a theme that's gonna go throughout this this review, you get hints mm-hmm. that there's something there. Like I joke, like there's a quick moment where where he's out to dinner. Yeah. And he wants his roast beef well done, even though previously he ate his roast beef rare, which, you know, speaks to the stereotype of black people eating their meat well done. But still, the fact that they thought about it, there's a moment where someone makes a comment that he writes 
with his right hand. Mm -hmm. But the man who's the black man who the body originally belonged to was left handed. Yes. So there's all of that. This 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 kind of thoughtfulness. And as you said, Raymond St. Jock is the perfect actor to play this role because you see the subtlety in his performance throughout the film where he is a little formal, a little stilted early in the film. And you just think that's Raymond St. Jock until you get in the last 10, 15 minutes and he literally becomes more comfortable in his, his own, own skin. skin. Yeah, yeah. And it comes across in his performance. Mm -hmm. I actually disagree with you outside of the fact that a lot of it just wasn't that developed. I actually admired how much the film let the two women in his life talk. No, I did. Like, yeah. like I, like I liked how much his wife was able to articulate that what you are seeing as prejudice, because right. of course the of course the superficial read is I'm uncomfortable being with a black man, mm -hmm. but she says it's not it's not that you're just not the husband I know. Right, right. And I love the duality with um, Janet McLaughlin's character, where she says, "You have my husband's hands, you have my husband's lips, you have his body, but when I look in your eyes." That's not my husband. Mm -hmm. So I liked, and I think you get more of their voice than you do in the overall superior version of this film, which would be the watermelon man. Okay. Where as much as I love the wife in the watermelon man, I don't think she had like there, there's a scene after after Raymond St. Jacques' character and his white wife have, have had an argument. But then there's another scene where she comes back mm -hmm. and she has this monologue saying what I just said, that the wife in Watermelon Man never gets. True. As much as I dislike all of the actual courtroom drama, I thought it was really interesting this space that this character inhabited where He's now treated as a black man. He now has to move as a black man, but he just became a black man. Right. Which means that he knows where all the bodies are buried mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because he used to be a white man. Yep. So you trusted me with the fact that you have a 17 year old mistress. You trusted me with the fact that you used to be a grand dragon in the Ku Klux Klan, but now I'm black and how I use that. But, you know, as you said, That's what I was, that was interesting. You know, yeah. as you said, you you lose you don't that doesn't have room to hit to hit and to develop yeah yeah like both of these plots like this really intimate character study between these three characters this man and these two wives that could have been the entire film or this courtroom drama Mm -hmm. with this sheriff and I really like Leslie Nielsen so like, like like you know I'm old enough to remember when you know like when he when he made airplane mm -hmm. and started that naked gun portion of his career that was the second phase of his career like he had been a serious actor all along and but you forget 
So like it was like, wow, Leslie, like this is why Leslie Nielsen is an actor. But again, it it's just it's not enough room to breathe. I yeah. like you. I thought the direction was was oh, you know, I thought there were some interesting choices, a couple of nice angles. Yeah. I like the scenes. Um, Raymond St. Jock is fantastic. And, and this is in that Raymond St. Jock pocket. Like mm-hmm. this is a year after one of our favorite films, Uptight. Uptight. Yeah. So like this is Ray, like you're, you're right. It's early in his career, but he, he like this is that nice Raymond St. Jock groove that mm-hmm. we love so much. I, I thought I was surprised at how much the issue of sexuality was text and not subtext. Yeah. Like, like, like this, this is two years after guess who's coming to dinner mm-hmm. where, you know, he had to kiss her in the rear view mirror and they are, they have very frank discussions about the, the implications to their sex life. They do. Now that he's a black man and she's a white woman. I also say that there is a sex scene in this film and for it to be 1969 it is one of the better sex scenes that i've seen in the movie again the direction is nice uh i'm not sure how they roped duke ellington into this me neither yeah i didn't read anything but it really did it really did class up the joint Mm -hmm. like it really classes up the joint it's like you know this is a pretty like this is like a really good episode of night gallery or, or or twilight zone but the music kind of elevates the whole thing mm-hmm. so that I, 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 I don't want to say I was frustrated by this film, but it is one of these films that we run into periodically where it's this really kind of backhanded compliment where the real critique is that it wasn't enough of it. Yeah. Like it just yeah. wasn't enough of it. Right. Because all the pieces are there. All the pieces are there. And I think even you actually point out um, a little bit more about the the subtleties of the legal stuff where, you know, him being a lawyer and now a black face in this space and how it, it changes the way he's playing the game there um, that I actually had forgotten about. And that that it was a good point. Uh, to bring out I think enough of the pieces are there even though you're right it needs more room it needs more breathing room I think enough of it is there to not only to recommend the movie mm-hmm. as to put it out there and and shout out to our to our boys on at real black TV because this is available right now streaming on YouTube invaluable invaluable uh resource yeah, yeah, yeah. Real shout black, out to r-e-e-l-b-l-a-c-k real black mike what's up dog um but yeah I, I, not only to recommend this but i i believe there should be a campaign because with all due respect if that film that we watched last week oh for god's sake which I'm drawing a blank on the chame- Chameleon Street. Yes. If Chameleon Street, I, I guess, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I guess the reason why Chameleon Street got the love that it got from the Criterion Collection is because of the ideas that it tries to put across. Mm-hmm. I don't think either of us 
agree, I think we both agree that it's not 100% successful in doing so. Um, but also because the fact that it was written and directed and starring a black man mm-hmm. at the time where, you know, everybody's following in Spike Lee's wake. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to this film, which was definitely slept on does yeah. not have the same historic pedigree shall we say as far sure. as the people behind this the makers of it and that being why this movie maybe hasn't bubbled up to their attention but i i think it really should i, yeah. I think this is far more worthy yeah I, I you know i'm not going to get into what was worthier or not but i definitely think this is something that I'd like to see cleaned up mm-hmm. and I'd like to see conversation around it's, it's, it, it's, you, you know, I was, I was talking about double features earlier today with my friends with Nope. Like there's a film that I want to watch double feature with Nope that I'm not going to say because it quasi spoils it, but I would love to watch this with get out. Yeah, a lot of people shouting out whether or not this is a prequel to Get Out. Yeah, because it is. I, I think, I think you have a couple of these films. I mean, you, you know, we talked about the Man with Two Heads, but even the Man with Two Heads, I think there is a there there is sort of a vein of criticism mm-hmm. where people look at it at this this sort of axis of race and identity mm-hmm. and what it means. And, you know, certainly the watermelon man is, is a masterpiece examining this, but I think this is a worthy addition to that conversation. Mm-hmm. And all of these films kind of lead to yeah. get out yeah, and, and everything that get out represented. And you know, I would, I would love, like, I would love to see a Criterion Collection edition of this because, I, I mean, frankly, I, I had a hard time finding reviews. I know of this and criticism, and you know, I have to say, at this point, Josiah's book is sort of like my go-to for everything. Like for this film. Like for Josiah to not have this in his book speaks to just how obscure mm-hmm. and how much it vanished. Because God knows that man is is just an archivist. Yeah. When it comes yeah. to black film from this era. Well, in 1969, the movie probably it, it's like just predating, you know, um it, the that wave of films yeah look so between josiah's book and there's nothing about this in donald bogle's book um you you know mammy i would have thought that he would have nothing in yeah nothing in my edition because again i was looking Mm. because it is this sort of like like this is it's kind of in that rarefied air of book of movies that we've talked about with speaking of uptight or or something like Brother John, mm-hmm. like these films that somehow have kind of slipped away. Yeah. So the frustration was that I liked it and I wanted to like it more. So would you recommend people see it? I I think I should ask you. It's well, I already film. said I All would. Right. I would. 
I would recommend it. I, I, I would recommend it. I think, um, I think the pieces that are there are good enough to justify watching it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like, like, you know, you're talking about the political, like we have had, we haven't even mentioned the hint of the pivot that he makes towards mm-hmm. the end where he's still going to be a political animal, but now he's going to lean into the black vote. Yeah. But this is like 10 minutes before the movie goes off and say it together, folks. It's not <laughs> developed. It's not, it's not, it, 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 I, I guess maybe they were hoping for a sequel. Look, I would love someone to pick this up and dust it off and remake it. Yeah, that would be interesting. And 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 actually do something interesting with it. Well, you know, if they did, it wouldn't be a movie. It'd be like an eight-part miniseries. Look, you you could very much have you could have some fun with this. You could you could very much have some fun with this. Yeah, really could. I mean, like I said, they the, the film starts and it's a whole bunch of interesting stuff that they said basically we dealt with that already mm-hmm. like there's a moment where where the, the the governor is trying to 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 strong arm him and oh, basically yeah. say we'll have you disbar and say that you're not who you are and he says i've had like six medical experts who said that i am who i am and i'm like well there's something like i would love to see that like like yeah like these six doctors who came together yeah. And and how did they measure that? Exactly. Like what's, what's the that measurement look like? That? Because then that measurement then becomes the 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 benchmark for the rest of the like the right. Because obviously they didn't test what hand he wrote with mm-hmm. or how he liked his roast beef. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, family reunions and things. My favorite thing is to go through the buffet line and watch um, at the risk of being stereotypical, watching black people tell them when they have like the pot and when they have like the um, the prime rib. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get cut mine from the end. Ah, cut mine from the end. I want from you. Uh, no, I don't want that pink in the middle. <laughs> so like by the end of the evening, it's just that big chunk, chunk of meat. middle meat yeah. sitting there, You're sitting there looking all red and bloody. Ah, lonely. So. It's like, oh, I know this doesn't end well. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our review of Change of Mind, ladies and gentlemen. Before we tell you of the great film that we are going to be reviewing next week, we invite you all to follow the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. Go to MichelleMission.com where you can hit swag and check out all of the cool designs and gifts that we have available from our good friends at T public. You can email the Michelle Mission at Mission at gmail.com M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at gmail.com Leave us a voicemail 215-867-9666 Tell Vincent and Len what's on your mind and if you send us an email or a voicemail please uh, give us your name doesn't have to be your full government or whatever name you want to go by and if you would be so kind let us know from where you hail we like to know, you know, about our reach. You can follow the Michelle Mission on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Michelle Mission. Subscribe to the Michelle Mission 
on YouTube as well as on Twitch and wherever you get our podcast, which is available Wednesday morning. This show is available the very next morning, ladies and gentlemen, for your download streaming pleasure, whether it be on Spotify, whether it be on Apple, wherever you get your podcast, please give us a five-star rating and a review because that helps people find our show. And don't forget the Show Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate, thepodglomerate.com. They make podcasts work. Next week on the Michelle Mission. All right. It's Vincent's turn. Yes. And we are going to um, kick off a month of 70s fun. Yes. With a film that we could not believe we had not already reviewed. It seems like we have. It seems like this could be. We've talked about it so much. It could be like a Mad Libs episode of, of. the Michelle people can just plug in their own words pretty much yeah as we sit down to review from 1975 car wash talking about the car wash oh, 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 oh. car wash next week here on the Michelle mission oh man <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. And this is from 1975. Yes, yeah, smack dab in yeah. the middle. Because if I remember correctly, there was a remake. Was there a remake of Car Wash? Was it a remake? I know Snoop had a movie called The Wash. Which ostensibly, I think, was like a remake of Car Wash. I think. I don't know. I don't know, because Car Wash was such a densely plotted film. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about this next week. But I've seen interviews where Michael Schultz talks about like all of the real deep sociological and social awareness themes mm. in Car Wash. And I was like, did I did I watch the wrong movie? Yeah. Yeah. You be the judge, ladies and gentlemen. Next week, Car Wash here on the Show Mission. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say we'll see you when it's time to meet again. 